0: Ever heard of the saying, uh, don't ask a question for which you don't want to know the answer? It's an odd saying, but I think it does describe how we often operate. And the reason why we might adopt that kind of stance is that we're not ultimately prepared to change our behaviour, no matter what the truth is. So maybe if you're the kind of person who's happy to go for a run in the rain, then you don't need to look at the weather. Don't ask a question for which you don't want to know the answer. It's not going to change anything. And if you're the kind of person who won't change your unhealthy living practices, then don't go to the doctor and ask them if you're well or not. Don't ask a question for which you don't want to know the answer. It's not going to change anything. The same applies for all sorts of different experts in different areas. If you're not at the point where you'll change your opinion about something, then you really don't need to listen to an expert. Don't ask a question for which you don't care about the answer. And I think we all adopt this strategy. We all take this stance from one time to another. And that is because, well, we don't want to know the truth about the weather or our health or the finances or the relationships because a lot of the time we kind of don't really want to change. We don't want to hear the news. Don't tell me the truth because it's not going to change my thoughts and actions anyway. Sometimes we do that because we want to have plausible deniability. Oh, sorry, officer. I had no idea. But ignorance is no defence. If you've got early onset of diabetes, you can't fix your health by avoiding a blood test. If your superannuation is too low, you can't fix your finances by ignoring bank statements. And if your car's unregistered, you can't avoid a fine by saying, oh, I didn't get that email. Ignorance is no defence. You can deny the truth, but it won't change reality. A lot of people go on life like this when it comes to God. Many people go through life like this. Knowing by nature that God exists. But deep down, even though they know that God created the universe and everything in it, they do nothing about it. People have holy hunches about God but do nothing. Every human knows deep down that God created the universe and everybody knows deep down that God created them. And everyone knows deep down that They need to be friends with God in some way, in some form. That's why there's so many religions everywhere. All of these people trying to work out how to fix up their relationship with their creator. They know deep down, they've got this holy hunch that they are guilty and that they need God's forgiveness. But most people do nothing. But ignorance is no defence. And that's why we all need to listen to God's word. Everyone... Every human needs to hear what God says to us in the Bible because this is the one and the only way to become friends with God and the one and the only way to be saved from hell. Well, today is the final chapter of 1 Kings and we're going to spend another session looking at King Ahab. Again, yep, there's going to be some more Ahab tonight. Over the last few weeks, we've watched him and his wife make bad and horrible and evil decisions that that affect people in horrible ways Uh, king ahab is the worst and most evil king who's lived up to that time in god's history and today we'll see one more time how he acted in an evil and stupid way and it all comes down to his denial of the truth he won't ask for the truth because he can't handle the truth And he won't change when he hears the truth anyway. And I wonder if that's what you're like. Are you someone who has ignored God's truth and has run an independent life? Have you spent your years with your fingers in your ears? Maybe today, as you see the tragic and ignorant journey of King Ahab, it might be the day for you to truly trust God's word. Well, let's kick it off. Verses 1 and 2 of chapter 22. For three years there was no war between Aram and Israel. But then during the third year, King Jehoshaphat of Judah went to visit King Ahab of Israel. There'd been this ongoing fight between the nation above the northern side of Israel and with Israel. And it's the nation that's called Aram, and the king is called Ben-Hadad. He's the bloke who last week threatened to turn all of God's people into dust. Not a particularly nice guy. And he's the guy also who ended up having to cry out for mercy because twice he failed as a king. And right at the end, he asked for mercy, and God's king said, okay, I'm going to give you mercy, even though God said he shouldn't have. Today we're going to see another reason why it was bad and stupid for him to ignore God back then. But anyway, there's been peace for three years, which is good. But Ben Haydad, that slippery guy, he had not done what he'd promised. he promised. Said, he said, oh, please, 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 please be kind to me and I will give you back the towns that my father took off your father. Oh, okay, nice idea. But what has he done? He hasn't given them back. He hasn't given back the towns to Israel. And because of that, the king from the south in Judah has gone and chatted to the king of the north in Israel and said, it's time to make this guy deliver on his promise. And we read in verse 3 and 4 that during the visit, the king of Israel said to his officials, do you realise that the town of Ramoth Gilead belongs to us? And yet, we've done nothing to recapture it from the king of Aaron. And then he turned to Jehoshaphat, who was the, the good king from down south in Judah, and he asked, Will you join me in battle to recover Ramoth Gilead? And Jehoshaphat replied to the king of Israel, Why, of course, you and I are one. My troops are your troops, and my horses are your horses. Now, this is kind of good news because as we've been reading up to this moment in 1 Kings, we've seen that the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom have been ripped apart. Ten up there, two down there, Israel, Judah, not talking to each other, having a bit of a war with each other. This is a good sign. looks like they're going to work together on a special project. There's this unity there that's unusual. But before they go any further, God's king from the south, Jehoshaphat, he makes a very wise call. He says in verse 5, Jehoshaphat added, But first, let's find out what the Lord says. Smart guy. Be like Jehoshaphat. He's your man. He thinks they should ask God the question. He thinks that they should say to God, hey, we've had three years of peace. We're kind of keen on getting that land back. Is this a good idea or not? Should we go up and have this battle or not? Because he knows clearly that if the Lord doesn't want them to fight, they will fail. And what's more, many of King Ahab's stupid and evil actions happened precisely because he didn't ask God what he thought and he didn't follow God's word when he heard it. Don't ask a question for which you don't want to know the answer. That has been Ahab's standard operating procedure for all the years that he's been king, especially when it comes to God. Don't ask God a question you don't want to know the answer for. So what does Ahab, the king of the northern bit of God's people, the Israel, what does he do? Verse 6, so the king of Israel summoned the prophets, about 400 of them. That's a lot of prophets. And he said to them all, should I go to war against Ramoth Gilead? Or should I hold back and they all replied yep go straight ahead the Lord will give the king victory well it sounds pretty good doesn't it King Ahab kind of got it half right he went out to try and find out whether he should go ahead or not he asked 400 prophets what they thought and 400 prophets said thumbs up go ahead make it happen But the king of the south says, there's a little bit of a problem with what you've just done, King Ahab. I mean, I want to give you a a sticker for trying hard. You you had a kind of headed in the right direction. But he says in verse 7, Jehoshaphat asks, "Um, uh, is there not also a prophet of the Lord here? We should ask him the same question. I mean, it, it... it should be pretty obvious, but when when Jehoshaphat says, we should ask the Lord what he thinks, you should then go and speak to a prophet of the Lord. Not 400 people who are like, yes, sir, no, sir, three bags full, whatever you want, yes, yes, sir, yes, yes, sir. King Ahab has asked 400 prophets who don't speak for the Lord. He's asked the right question, but he's asked it to the wrong people. They don't know what the true Lord thinks. And what's more what they do say is likely to be wrong anyway. It's a little bit like that funny old story when you you see someone at night searching for lost keys under a street lamp, looking around everywhere where to find them. And a stranger walks up and says, oh, you're looking for your keys. Where did you lose them? And the reply is, oh, I lost them over there in that dark car park, but there's no light over there, so I'm going to look for them here. It's like, really? Why would you do that? You look for where they are. You don't look in the wrong spot. Ahab is looking intently for his keys in the wrong spot, asking 400 prophets who don't know the Lord. But it's not because he doesn't know where to find the answer. He just doesn't want to have the truth. Ahab, Ahab, Ahab. And so we read in verse 8 that the king of Israel, Ahab, replied to Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, there is one more man who could consult the Lord for us, But I hate him. He never prophesies anything but trouble for me. His name is Micaiah, son of Imlah. King Ahab, God's evil king, says he doesn't want to hear from the Lord's prophet. Because there's one prophet who actually has got the answer. And he says, I don't want to know. And why? Because I hate him. Okay, Right. And why does he hate him? It's because he never gives me the answer I want. It's a bit like a sick person saying, I don't go to that doctor because she only tells me I'm sick. I'd go to this other expert over there who just smiles and takes my money and makes me feel nice, plays nice music and gives me lollies. Ahab doesn't want the truth, so he doesn't ask for it. Don't be like Ahab. He denies the truth. He can't handle the truth. And so Jehoshaphat, God's better king from the south, he says in verse 8b, that's not the way a king should talk. Let's hear what Micaiah has to say. The southern king's right. A smart king will lead to good advice and the best advice is going to come from the Lord. Not everybody loves the word of the Lord. Have you noticed that? Most people don't. Most people ignore God's word or they try to silence people who speak it and live it out. And in the end, those who ignore God's word will suffer. Ignorance is no defence. So what does stupid King Ahab of the north do? Verse 9. So the king of Israel called one of his officials and said, quick, 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 get Micaiah, son of Imlah. He actually does something smart. Okay, okay, this is good, Ahab. You've called for Micaiah, the the prophet that you hate. And so then they bring Micaiah there, the hated prophet, before the two kings who we read are are very pompous and in a very fancy and flash little environment. We read the King Ahab of Israel and King Jehoshaphat of Judah, dressed in their royal robes, were sitting on thrones at the threshing floor near the gate of Samaria. All of Ahab's prophets were prophesying there in front of them, all 400 of them. And one of them, Zedekiah, son of Keniah, made some iron horns and proclaimed, this is what the Lord says, with these horns you will gore the Arameans to death. And all the other prophets agreed. Yes, they said, go up to Ramoth-Gilead and be victorious, for the Lord will give the king victory. It's exactly what the Lord, what, what Ahab wants to hear. He wants to hear, yeah, go on, have a go, it'll be fine. All the pagans are saying, go for it, go for it, go for it. That's what the king loves to hear. And that's what the king hopes that Micaiah will say. And so just to make sure that happens, we read in verse 13 that the messenger who went to get Micaiah said to him, mate, look, all the prophets are promising victory for the king, 400 of them. Be sure that you agree with them and promise success or I'll make you an offer you can't refuse. The one prophet who's actually got access to God, He's being gagged. He's saying, Listen, you've got to say this. I'll read out your script. It's like, Really? But verse 14 Micah replied, As surely as the Lord lives, I will say only what the Lord tells me to say. That is how we know that this guy's the real deal. He's a genuine prophet because genuine prophets say only what the Lord says to say. And that's what every Christian should be like today. We have God's word loud and clear, and we have just one job, tell the truth. When God's word says that Jesus really, truly rose from the dead, we've got to tell the truth, even if people think we're silly. And when God's word says that adultery is a sin, we need to tell the truth and all the other things as well. Now, I've got to say it is a fairly sobering thing for me to stand up here behind the pulpit and to teach God's word, especially when I know that what I'm saying is going out on Facebook and it's being shared with my Facebook friends and there are people there who don't know Jesus and people who, who might think that really it's a bit silly, a lot of the things that we say, and in fact, offensive. And here I am. I'm constantly tempted to water down the message of the gospel. I want people to like me. I want people to think the Christians and the Bible are nice. But tonight, my hero is Micaiah. Micaiah who says, I am going to tell the truth, the whole truth. So help me, God. And that's what he does in verse 15. Because when Micaiah arrived before the king, Ahab asked him, Micaiah, should we go to war against Ramoth Gilead or should we hold back? Micaiah replied sarcastically, Yes, go up and be victorious for the Lord will give the king victory. Interesting, isn't it? (laughs) It's a cheeky reply from God's prophet, which the king notes, verse 16, he says, how many times must I demand that you speak only the truth to me? Will you speak for the Lord? Which is weird because I think, did me already say, I don't like this guy because he tells me the truth? And he's saying, hang on, mate, tell me the truth? Ah, oh, This guy's weird. Maybe the king is having a moment of clarity. Maybe he really does realise that Micaiah speaks the truth of the Lord. Maybe he does recognise that the word of the Lord is good and he wants to hear it. And He says, mate, Don't give me this rubbish. Tell me it like it really is. And so Micah does. Verse 17. He says, In a vision I saw all Israel scattered on the mountains like sheep without a shepherd. And the Lord said, Their master has been killed. Send them home in peace. Micah sees all of Israel but no leader. No shepherd to shepherd them. No king to lovingly rule them. And that's because the king's been killed. But because of that, they're able to go home in peace. In a sense, these guys are actually better off without that king. They need a better shepherd, a much, much better shepherd, a much, much better king than Ahab ever was. And it's not like King Ahab misses the subtlety of the vision. He says, verse 18, he says, didn't I tell you? The king of Israel, he never prophesies anything but trouble for me. Didn't I tell you? He just gives me bad news again and again, which is weird because he just said, give me the truth. Okay, here's the truth. No, don't give me the truth. It's like, whoa. The problem is that the message to him is trouble for him. That's what happens when people hear the word of the Lord. When the Bible is taught faithfully, some people will get angry and dismissive of the message. They'll attack the messenger. But their problem really is with the message. But Micaiah presses on. He doesn't wimp out. He says in verse 19, Listen to what the Lord says. I saw the Lord sitting on his throne with all the armies of heaven around him, on his right and on his left. (laughs) <laughs> it's like, oh, I like your little wimpy show that you've got here at the threshing floor with your little thrones and your fancy robes. You know what I see? I see the Lord of the universe on his throne. And I see all of the Lord's armies there around him. You want to see who's really in charge? You want to see what's really powerful? You want to see what's really awesome? That's what I, Micah, have seen. And so he says that this is what the Lord says. The Lord said, who can entice King Ahab to go into battle against Ramoth Gilead so he can be killed? And there were many suggestions amongst his people. And finally a spirit approached the Lord and said, oh, leave it with me. I can do it. How will you do it? The Lord asked. And the spirit replied, "Ah." I'll go out and inspire all of Ahab's prophets to speak lies. And the Lord said, nice work. You'll do it and you'll succeed. Go ahead and do it. And then Micaiah says, And so Ahab, the Lord has put a lying spirit in the mouths of all your prophets, for the Lord has pronounced your doom. It's about as honest and as truthful as it gets. The Lord God has planned to king to kill King Ahab because King Ahab has done horrible, evil things. And the Lord said, it's going to happen to you. The judgment day is going to come. And he's decided to do it by having these false prophets convince him to go to the battle. But what does the Lord do? He says, guess what? I'll tell you my secret plan. I am going to get all of your prophets to lie to you. So if you want to be spared... Just don't listen to them. Listen to Micaiah. Don't listen to the 40 other goons in front of you, okay? And what he's doing is he's showing him mercy. The Lord shows mercy by further warning Ahab. Man, how many, this, this, this king has got more lives than a cat. How many times is he going to be led off by the Lord? Mercy, mercy, mercy. How's it going to happen? What's he going to do? If Ahab was just a little bit smart, he'd say, oh, okay, don't listen to those 400 prophets. Don't go up to Ramath, Gilead. Just stay at home and watch the footy. Don't go up there. But he rejects God's grace. He rejects God's word. Verse 24. Then Zedekiah, son of Kenah, walked across up to Micaiah and slapped him across the face. Since when did the spirit of the Lord leave me to speak to you, he demanded. And Micaiah replied, you will find out soon enough when you're trying to uh, find a space in some secret room. Arrest him, the king of Israel ordered. Take him back to Amon, the governor of the city, and to my son Joash. Give them this order from the king. Put this man in prison and feed him nothing but bread and water till I return safely from battle. What happens? They reject his word. And another prophet is punished for telling the truth. Any surprise there? Not really. But nothing's going to silence in Verse 28, he said, If you return safely, it'll mean that the Lord has not spoken through me. Just, just you wait and see. And then he added to those standing around, Everyone, mark my words. My knows that the word is true. He knows Ahab will die because of his sin and his hard-hearted rejection of the Lord. So what will Ahab do? What's his final response? Well, he's going to go to battle. So King Ahab of Israel and King Jehoshaphat of Judah led their armies against Ramoth Gilead. The king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, the king from the south in Judah, he said, as we go into battle, tell what I'm going to do. I'm going to disguise myself so no one will recognise me. But you wear your fluorescent over-the-top royal robes. Trust me, it'll be fine. So the king of Israel disguised himself and they went into battle. The king of the northern tribes will disguise himself like an everyday soldier, but not Jehoshaphat. He will be a sitting duck in his very non-camouflage red robes or whatever colour they are, which is a bit of a worry because... It turns out that the king of Aram at the top, actually, he just wants the king. He wants to kill the king. This same guy who was shown mercy by that king three years ago, he wants him dead. And so we read in verse 31, he says, The king of Aram had issued these orders to his 32 chariot commanders, attack only Ahab, the king of Israel. Don't bother with anyone else. He's the only one that matters. Just go for him. I want his head. And that's a bit of a problem, I think, for Jehoshaphat because as they look out there, they can only see one king and it's not Ahab because Ahab's in his camo and Jehoshaphat's there in his high viz. And so what happens? Well, when the Aramean chariot commanders saw high viz Jehoshaphat in his royal robes, they went after him. There is the king of Israel, they shouted, But when Jehoshaphat called out, no, no, it's not me, it's not me, the chariot commanders realised he was not the king of Israel and they stopped chasing him. It's nice when communication actually works and it did and they stopped. And so hopefully you would think for King Ahab that'll mean that they don't go for the king, they think there's no king there and the king will get away with it. He'll actually be able to wiggle his way out of God's plan. Is that going to happen? Verse 34, an Aramean soldier, however, randomly shot an arrow at the Israelite troops and he hit the king of Israel between the joints of his armour. Turn the horses and get me out of here, Ahab groaned to the driver of his chariot. I'm badly wounded. What a fluke. What a coincidence. What bad luck. King Ahab. Sitting there in his camo, he's randomly shot and his armour randomly fails. And it's all bad luck, right? Wrong. All his sneaky plans failed in the face of God's word. Which I think is an important reminder for us, an important warning for us. And that is with God, you can run, but you can't hide. Eventually, he will catch up with you. But the smart people surrender first and get to meet God as friend, as saviour. Anyway, here's what happens next. Verse 35, the battle raged all that day and the king remained propped up in his chariot facing the Arameans. The blood from his wound ran down to the floor of his chariot and as evening arrived, he died. And just as the sun was setting, the cry ran through his troops, we're done for, run for your lives. And so the king died and his body was taken to Samaria and buried there. And then his chariot was washed beside the pool of Samaria. Samaria, And the dogs came and licked his blood at the place where the prostitutes bathed just as the Lord had promised. And that was the end of Ahab. And God's word totally came true. Ahab decided to ignore the preacher of the word of the Lord. He then thought he'd attack the preacher of the word of the Lord. And then when he would heard the word of the Lord, he decided to ignore the word of the Lord. But in the end, the word of the Lord was true, of course. King Ahab couldn't handle the truth. And so he ignored the truth and suppressed the truth. And in the end, he died as a rebel of the Lord. He was a bad shepherd of the sheep. And so the sheep scattered. And the word of the Lord came true exactly as the prophet said. But that's not the way that 1 Kings ends. There's still a little bit more at the very end. We read about Jehoshaphat, who we've had a bit of talk about. Skipping to verse 41, we read about him that he began to rule in the fourth year of King Ahab and he was 35 years old and he reigned for 25 and there's his mum's name. We're now seeing a bit of a step back in time where he is now reviewed and briefly it just says he was a good king. And he followed the example of his father. He did what was pleasing in the Lord's sight, but he failed to remove all the pagan shrines and the people still offered sacrifices and burns there. But he also made peace with the king of Israel. It's a pretty short history for Jehoshaphat as we come to the close of this whole book. But the point is that he was a good guy, mainly, mainly good. He did some other good things. Verse 46, he banished from the land the rest of the male and female shrine prostitutes who continued their practices from the days of his father Asa. And verse 48, he, he also built a fleet of trading ships to f- sail for gold, but they never set sail, for they met with disaster. And then he spoke to Ahab's son and he said, can I come with your guys? And they said, no. So stuff happened right there and that's sort of how it ends. But the point is that, He was a guy who generally did good. We don't hear much about him. But we do hear just a little bit more in the final verses about the guy who came after Ahab. We read about this guy called Ahaziah. He was the son of Ahab. He ruled over in the 17th year of King Jehoshaphat's reign in Judah. He reigned in Samaria two years, but he did what was evil in the Lord's sight, like father, like son. He did what was evil in the Lord's sight, following the example of his father and mother, who's going to forget her, and the example of Jeroboam, son of Nebat, who had led Israel to sin. He served Baal and worshipped him, provoking the anger of the Lord, the God of Israel, just as his father had done. And that's the end of 1 Kings oh, I would have liked sort of a bit of a happier ending, you know, maybe and suddenly a sunset that they can all run out to together and then the music starts being nicely and the credits start rolling. But but no, this is how it ends. Well, it sort of doesn't because after one king comes two kings and it's sort of like those sequels where that doesn't really end the first one before you have to wait a whole year for it to be released on Boxing Day and then you see it again. It's, it's a little bit like that. And we're going to get to two kings, God willing, if Jesus doesn't return before we get to it. But for now, we just see that this guy's really bad. And that's the kind of the taste in our mouth as we get to the end of 1 Kings. It started with David, who was pretty much a good guy, pretty much. And certainly in the eyes of the Lord, he was a great guy. Then you had his son Solomon, who did amazing stuff, super wise, super smart, super rich, but also did some super stupid things as well. And from there it all went downhill, and that's the story of one king. And in all of it, we've seen really that human kings fail to properly rule God's people. So many kings who did so many dumb things. And at the end of the day, the big problem was so many kings denied the truth and suppressed the truth. They said, I don't want to listen to you, Lord. It's like, la, 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 not listening, not listening, not listening. And that's the way that they led God's people under God's rule? Not listening, not listening, not listening. Is it any surprise that it turned out that badly? And we see it summed up in the picture from Micaiah. God's people were there on the hills, scattered like sheep without a shepherd. Did you notice that when it came up? What did it make you think about? When I read that, it made me think about another shepherd of God's people. It made me think about Jesus as he was heading off for a bit of a quiet time. And anyway, it bumps into a lot of people. Verse 34 of chapter 6 of Mark's gospel. Jesus saw the huge crowd as he stepped from the boat and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. How did he lovingly lead them? What did the shepherd do as he saw the sheep clueless, bumping into each other, needing leadership? What does he do? He shepherded his people by teaching them, by giving them the word of God. Time and time and time again throughout 1 Kings, really, the, the, in so many ways, the lead character of 1 Kings is the word of the Lord. He's everywhere. And now as the people are there, the people of God, there scattered. What does the Lord do? What does the Lord Jesus do as his heart breaks for them? He says, I've got to give you the word of the Lord. And he does. And we read this in John's Gospel. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. I know my own sheep and they know me just as my father knows me and I know the father so I sacrifice my life for the sheep. I have other sheep too that are not in this sheepfold. I must bring them also. They will listen to my word, my voice, and there will be one flock with one shepherd. Time and time again, the bad shepherds didn't listen to the word of the Lord. But the good shepherd, shepherd, he listens to the word of the Lord. He is the word of the Lord. He speaks the word of the Lord, and that is how he loves God's people, will you listen to the truth of the Lord and follow Jesus, the good shepherd? Will you obey the truth of the Lord even when it's hard? Will you follow the shepherd who sacrifices his life for you? Let me pray.